This episode of All Have Another is brought to you by Generation You Can. Generation You Can is a revolutionary superstarch and it's changing the way you can energize for your runs and your workouts. This is a natural, slow-releasing carbohydrate and it keeps your blood sugar stable and delivers steady energy for your brain and your body. I personally used Generation You Can when I was ramping up my miles last year for my fall marathon and so, so, so loved the results. I felt so great on my long runs when I was using this product and I can't wait to use it again once I get to training more um, after I'm recovered from having this baby. I have several clients who use the product and love it and Generation You Can is offering listeners of All Have Another a 15% discount. Just go to generationyoucan.com slash another Use promo code ANOTHER, all caps, to get your 15% discount. Let me know what you think of the product. I'm loving it. I know you're going to love it too. Thanks for sponsoring this episode, Generation UCAM. Welcome to All Have Another. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so happy that you're joining me today. This is a show where I bring on motivating and inspiring women, and you will not be disappointed today. You are listening to episode 37, and I'm chatting with Claire Dietrich. I met Claire on Instagram. Michelle Gonzalez, who you heard on the podcast on episode 16 and again on 25, recommended having Claire on the show. Claire went to West Point where Michelle went to school and she has completed four 100 mile ultra marathons. And one of those being Badwater Ultra Marathon, which is considered the toughest foot race pretty much ever. It's 135 miles through Death Valley and it's just a crazy intense race. In this episode, we talk about her training for that, we talk a little bit about her time at West Point and what that looked like. Also training pre, during, and post baby. Claire's pregnant with her second child right now and she's already thinking about the goals that she has post baby this time around. She is super inspiring. I can't even imagine what kind of mental strength takes for things that she's accomplished. I am in awe of her, seriously. And I'm not just saying that. She's an amazing woman and we also had a lot of fun talking about a couple of parenting things and she has some really good book re recommendations and podcasts. The show notes for this episode are ridiculous. I had so many links, so many books and podcasts and all kinds of fun stuff. Before we get started talking to Claire, if you would head over to iTunes and rate and review the show, that would be super helpful. I would really appreciate that. It's the best way for new listeners or potential new listeners to find the show. Next week, we have our holiday gift guide episode. I'm recording this episode this coming Saturday. So you have about two or three days to get an email to me if you want a chance to possibly be on that show if, if it's a good fit. My email is lindsay at lindsayhine.com. And if you are a company or small business who wants to speak to this audience that I get to speak to every single week, shoot me an email, lindsay at lindsayhine.com. Okay, you guys, make sure you're following me on Twitter, lindsayhine, and Instagram, lindsayhine626, so you can keep updated on all podcast-related things. And of course, you know, cute pictures of my kids and whatnot. Today, this episode airs on Veterans Day, so happy Veterans Day. Thank you to everybody who has served our country, and a special thank you to Claire for serving our country and for coming on the show today. Here's my conversation with Claire. Hi. Hey, Claire. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, I'm so glad it worked out. I was like, your due date's in like a couple days. Yes. <laughs> so. I am due on Thursday, and... I've been trying to like get as many of these recorded so uh -huh. that I don't have to take a break. And then Yeah, no, I completely understand. You know, and it's like I can edit once I have the baby. Uh -huh. It's not like you like can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but just to have them recorded. And then so I I was scrolling through your Instagram and I was like, "Oh, I didn't even know you were pregnant." 
Oh, yeah. So my, I'm due on Thanksgiving Day with okay. another boy. So I have a boy, and now I'm having another boy. So you're officially, like, you can officially use the hashtag boy mom. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, once we announce that we're having a boy, I feel like now I'm a boy mom. <laughs> it's there. Yep. You're, you're officially there because you're having two. Um, well, everybody, Claire, I met Claire uh, on Instagram through Michelle Gonzalez, and Michelle recommended Claire for the podcast because... Well, all she had to say was that you've done bad water. And I was like, okay, done. That's all I needed to hear. But I just, you have so much, you have such an interesting story. I mean, the email that you sent me, I was like, well, I don't even need to come up with questions because that was all I needed to hear. (laughs) You're so sweet. So how old's your older son? He is 21 months. He will be two in January. Okay. So then our kids are going to, our, my younger boy and my third boy are going to be Pretty much the exact same age gap that you have here. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Claire, you're in Atlanta right now? Yeah. So I recently quit my job. So I was uh, working outside the home, and then I quit um, in early September. We just looked at the cost of childcare for two kids, and I kind of had, like, major sticker shot. And I was like, how much of my salary do I get to keep? Uh, mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. So I quit my job to plan to spend my third trimester at home and then stay home with the two boys. And then, of course, like one of my brother, one of my husband's siblings and then his best friend decided to get married three weeks apart in Atlanta. And I was like, well, we're not like as much as I enjoy the five hour flight from Seattle (laughs) to Atlanta. We're not doing that four times in one month. So my husband left today to go back to work for a couple weeks and then he'll come back for the other wedding. So we're just hanging out in Atlanta with my in-laws um, waiting for him to come back. So you did the first wedding. Mm-hmm. First wedding's done. And then you have three weeks and then the next wedding. Yes. And it's his two brothers. So he, one was his brother, one's his best friend. So he's in both weddings and it's like, so we, he can't, oh. it's not like we could be like, yeah. oh, we'll just not come to one of the weddings. It's like, we have to be here. <laughs> right. And so you're, you're staying at your in-laws then. Mm-hmm. That's nice that you feel comfortable staying there for three weeks. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Um, I mean, my mother-in-law works. My father-in-law is retired, but uh, my sister-in-law is. She's also a stay-at-home mom, and she has two kids. Oh. And her younger kid is it's a, it's a boy is only four months older than Layton. So like they love each they like love each other. Um, so we're just gonna hang out all the time. <laughs> that's a ni- that's a nice break from just like the mundane every day. But you, I mean, you're gonna be like. So close to your due date by the time you go home. Yeah, I'm flying back at like 36 weeks and four days pregnant. <laughs> what are the rules with that? Do, are there rules with... Yeah, it depends on the airline. I actually did some research because mm. some airlines like require you to have a letter mm. like saying that you're allowed to travel. Um, Delta is what we're flying and they actually don't care. They mm. have no requirements at all. But I mean, to that, I kind of say like, okay, so you say a late, it's like someone needs a letter if they're flying after 36 weeks pregnant. Do you really know? Like right. if a woman's 36, like you don't really know unless you're, I don't know, like an OBGYN. You probably don't know by looking at somebody how no. far along somebody is. No, so. that's totally has to be the honor system for sure. Yeah, so tech, but thankfully Delta has no restrictions. Although when you look on their website for like information about pregnancy, they have it listed under flying with a disability. So <laughs> you're like, does that mean I get to go to the front of the line? Well, yeah. actually with, well, you have one, but with a little kid and being that pregnant, they probably would move you to the front if you had like a stroller yeah, and everything. They, they usually let us move to the front. So I haven't flown a ton with my kids, um, only once with the two of them. And then I've done a couple other fl- solo flights with, my older one. And I have, I don't know about you, but I have had really great experiences with 
Um, the other passengers on the flight being super helpful, I have friendly, and the um, the flight attendants being super helpful. Like I've never once had you know that mean person giving me dirty looks because my kid's screaming. Thankfully, I haven't either. And the first time, so I'm originally from Chicago. My husband's from Atlanta. So we have like, this is now like now my son's third time flying. And the worst flight we had with him was when he was like seven or eight months old. Um, and we did, we're like, oh, let's fly a red eye. That's a great idea because he'll just sleep <laughs> yeah. until they don't. Right. And so not only it's like a red eye flight, it's like 11 p.m., midnight, something. And I have like the screaming infant and still nobody gave us a hard time. Like, and the flight attendants, to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. The flight attendants were like, can we heat up any milk for you? Like, Aww. is there anything we can do? Like everyone was being very, very nice. And I was like, you don't have to be nice. Like I'm miserable. I know you're miserable. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> it takes a complete asshole though, to really like be crappy to somebody who's just trying to calm their kid down. Right. Right. And I think I read something online or I heard someone say, like, no matter how bad it is for you, it's a hundred times worse for the person, like for the parent of the child, like, because they feel so bad. And that's a hundred percent true. Because even when, like, my son was kicking the back of the seat of the person in front of us on the flight here, and I was like, I am so sorry. And they're like, honestly, it's not a big deal. Like, he was fine. But I was like, you know, my son's being a terror. Yeah, I I saw this viral um, article floating around recently, and you probably saw, you might have seen it too. It was like some random man was being praised for like comforting this woman's child on Mm -hmm. like hours on a flight. And I was just thinking in my head, like, hey, if that could work, like I would be all about some random man comforting my child. But like, I don't think that my child would go to some random man and let him comfort him. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think my kid would either. But no, I would be okay with it too. I mean, you're on an airplane like 30,000 feet in the air. Where are they going to go? Yeah, (laughs) They're not taking your child anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I was just thinking, man, what kind of kid is like, yeah, let me go to the stranger while my mom's right here. So, okay, well, do you want to just tell everybody, where did you grow up? I grew up in a northern suburb of Chicago. Oh, that's what you said. You're from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And then what? at what point in your life, like in high school or whatever, were you thinking, I want to go to West Point? Uh, so my older brother actually also went to West Point, which is kind of um, funny because people always ask us like, oh, you both went to West Point. You must be from a military family. We're not. We mm. both just kind of were like the idea of going to West Point. So he's two years older than me. So when he was going through the application process, it's a really long application process for the military academies, like where some colleges, maybe you can apply like your junior early in your senior year. I started the application process to West Point like my sophomore year wow. of high school. So, like, my brother had been accepted, but he hadn't even started yet when I was applying. So, when I, um, so I was like, well, I'm going to apply to West Point, just have it as one of my options. But then when I visited my brother, uh, when he was a freshman there, I was just like, this is where I want to go. Um, and at the time, I actually really wanted to be an Army doctor. Like, that was kind of my goal. I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to do my, you know, do my four years there, then I'm going to go to medical school, I'll be an Army doctor, it's going to be great. Um after I went to West Point, my plans kind of changed. I kind of saw people in leadership positions, and I was like, well, I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be in charge of soldiers, and I decided that I wanted to go that route instead. So I was actually a military police officer, mm. um, which people think means I had a lot to do with law enforcement. I actually didn't do a lot of that. It was a lot more of um, like logistics management and things like that for my unit. I did have to get pepper sprayed and tased. I have experienced that. Oh my gosh. Uh, It's terrible. I'd rather die. You just stand there and like, you're just like, okay, give it to me. Like, is that how they do it? Yeah. Yeah. And the pepper spray is terrible because (laughs) you can't get it out of your eyes. Like there's nothing you can do. 
it just takes like hours to wear away. But the tasing, like it only lasts for like five seconds. So in your mind, before it happens, you're like, oh, I can just count to five and it'll be fine. No, like you can't, you, you like can't, you can't even think it's just the worst thing ever. But where do they put it when they tase you? So some people, they'll actually shoot with like the little prongs mm-hmm. that like hook into your body, but like you can't reuse those cause they're actually under your skin. So usually what they'll do is they'll like hook alligator clips up. So for me, they hooked alligator clips up to like each one of my boots. So the charge runs from like clip to clip Mm -hmm. and wherever you have the most muscle is like where it affects you the most. So like for me, that was all in my legs. And so like people like were standing next to me because my legs like completely locked out and I was like in the air. It was, it was like the worst experience of my life. Like I would rather, I would rather be shot. I would rather die. So did you have like um, days leading up to it, like, this is my taser date. <laughs> no, they just told me that day. They're like, today's the day you're getting taser qualified. Maybe like, better yeah. that you didn't know because you didn't have to think about it. Maybe, but it was like, it was like three months after I got to my first unit. I was uh, like, oh, it was bad. So the tasing but, was way worse than the pepper spray, you think? I think the pain is worse, but it does go away more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pepper spray, like, it just like, it just like never ends. Yeah. And then of course... The day after I got pepper sprayed, I was like, you know what I should do? I should run an ultra marathon. Like, that sounds like a really good idea. And so, like, then, like, the whole first part of the race, I'm just, like, crying. It was terrible. Oh, so it was the next day that you ran your first ultra? No, it wasn't my first ultra, but it was an ultra. And it was okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I want to hear about the sapper school training, but I, I, where does it fit into the puzzle? Because I want to make sure I get it into the puzzle just right. So I, well, I, I was a runner in high school, okay. um, so it's not like I didn't, I had never run at all. Um, so I ran in high school. I wasn't very good. I kind of was like all over the place. I probably would have been successful as like a two miler, mm. but like the 800 meter was like the sexy event. And so I was like, well, I should be 800. I'm not built to be an 800 meter runner, but everybody else was doing it. Um, so I wasn't very great. I was injured a lot. Um, and then like kind of by the end of my high school career, I was like, I'm done running like you know, obviously I have to run for the army, but I'm not going to run competitively. I don't want to do any races. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm tapped out. So then I go to West Point. And, um, so this was my sophomore year. So at West Point, your summers are all military training. Like you maybe have like a week or two vacation, but for the most part, it's like military training. So one of the military trainings, um, was this school called Sapper School, which if you've heard of Ranger School, mm-hmm. which yeah. you, you probably heard that, Sapper School is kind of similar. It's just a shorter school and it's like, um, it's kind of focused on like a different branch of the military. So like, uh, Ranger School is focused on like the infantry. Sapper School is kind of focused on engineers. Um, so it's just, it's a, it's a similar, like it's a similar level of difficulty. It's just a lot shorter of a school. So West Point for like the first time in years had slots available to send cadets. But they're, since it's such a hard school, they're like, well, we're going to have tryouts. So it was, it was like the whole day was a tryout. And it was, I mean, it was like one of the worst days of my life. Like I was like not, I was not physically prepared at all. Like I, I was in good shape, like, and I was definitely in good shape for being a female, but I was not like at that level that I needed to be at to be competitive. But I was like, well, there's only like three females there. Like, I'm just going to give it a shot. So the day, I mean, I can't even, I can't, I can't even like describe how grueling it was. Like you started the day with like the army's physical fitness test. And then you'd go into like a 10 mile run. And then you would go into like just this session of like, 
different stations where you would do like hundreds of push-ups and hundreds of burpees and hundreds of this. And it just was like never ending. And then at the end of the day, like as if that wasn't enough, they're like, well, we're going to put 50 pounds on your back and you're going to march 12 miles. Oh my gosh. That was like the whole, that was like the whole day. And so I was like, I just want to make it through the tryout. Like by this point, I was like, I know I'm not going to get selected to go to this school. I just want to make it to the tryout. Like, I just want to see where I stack up. And it was definitely like towards the bottom, <laughs> um, which is fine. But like, I looked at the people who went and they were like on the marathon team or the triathlon team or they were ultra marathon. Like these people were just like endurance specimens, especially for college kids. Like they mm-hmm. were in really, really good shape, especially for the age that they were. And I was like, you know, I don't want anybody to ever tell me I can't do something, especially in the military. Like you never know what your physical fitness needs, like how deep that's going to need to go when you're in the military. Like you never know what situation you're going to be placed in. Um, so I was like, well, I'm just going to sign up for a 50 K. Like that's obviously the next logical <laughs> step. I've, I've run like 10 miles so I can probably run 32. Um, so I signed up for a 50 K that following fall. And I think my training plan was like, I'll do like one 15 mile run. Oh gosh. And that, that's- <laughs> And that's, I had done no running on trails. Like, I didn't even research this race. I didn't even realize that, like, most ultras are on trails. So I had done no trail running. I had run, like, half the distance of what this ultra was going to be. And I'm, like, 20. I was, like, yeah, this, this sounds like a really good idea. Um, but I did it, and I finished. And I was, like, totally hooked. You know, like, you know, like, a runner's high, that, like, adrenaline you get when you cross the finish line. Like, for me, it was just magnified so I was like I'm gonna read everything about ultra running like I want to like find out everything I can about it and that was when I read I think I think I first read about Badwater when I read Ultra Marathon Man by Dean Carnassus mm. um and he talked about that running Badwater and I was like this is awesome like it sounded so terrible and so hard so I kind of like <laughs> the race <laughs> I like went to the race website and I was like okay well I'm 20 the youngest person who's done this race is 27. I was like, I could probably do this. Like I could probably be the youngest female to run this race. So I looked at the requirements and one of them is that you have to have run three 100 mile races. And I've like, I was like, well, I've done one 50 K. So how do I like, how do I get to this? point? So I just kind of started signing up for races and like altering my training and reading everything I could about it. And I didn't know anybody who did ultra marathons. I was just kind of like on, on my own trying to figure it out. And, um, well, it all worked out. I mean, in 2012, I did it. So it was like a huge, huge accomplishment. Like I think about it now and I was like, you know, I ran my first ultra when I was 20. I ran Badwater when I was 23, three years. And I was like, I just, I have to do it. I have to figure it out. And the year that I ran it, there was also a 24 year old and a 25 year old who ran it. And we like all had the same goal. And they were like, damn, she's the youngest one. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, my birthday was like two weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> but even if you were the same age as one of them, if your birthday was uh, later then. Yeah. So I just can't imagine. Well, I've never even done an ultra marathon, not even a 50K. But I just, and I want to someday, but I can't imagine taking that task on in college. But obviously, your college experience is like completely different than the average person because you went to West Point. So, yeah, it was. Um, it was kind of crazy. And then, so the year that I ran Badwater 2012 was like the busiest year of my life because you, you have to actually apply to Badwater. Like you have to submit like your running resume and they have to validate that you've done the races. But then I had to write like an essay, Mm. I think about like why I wanted to run Badwater. 
So it's like applying to college, basically. Except you're, <laughs> applying, you're applying to run in Death Valley. And, like applying um, to do the hardest thing you could ever possibly imagine doing. And you're like, why do I want to do this? <laughs> like, now you're really making me think about it. Yeah. Um, so I, you applied. I want to say my application was due in like late 2011 or maybe like very early 2012. And now were you but a I senior re- then? No, no, I was out of West Point by this okay. point. So I was out of West Point by this point. I'd been out for uh, about a year, each, about a year and a half, almost two years. So what were you doing in everyday life at that point? So well, after you graduate from West Point, you have a five-year commitment to the Army, which Michelle probably talked about mm-hmm. a little in her podcast. Um, so I got stationed out at Fort Lewis, Washington, which is like between um, Tacoma and Olympia, um, if you're familiar with the state at all. And, uh, so like after I graduated, I had two months of kind of like do whatever you want time. And then I had six months of training in Missouri in the middle of nowhere, which is where I met my husband. Uh, (laughs) And then I was moved out to Washington to be with my unit. And that's where I, that's where I've been since, since then. So I spent my whole five years in Washington state, which is a great state to be, um, for ultra running. Mm. I mean, there's so many trails and like mountains and it's just it's really really beautiful and scenic for stuff like that so at the so the time that I was like doing all these races to make sure I got them on my resume I was in Washington okay um so I got I found out in like February of 2012 that I was accepted to run the race and then like within a couple weeks my now husband proposed and I also found out that I was going to be going to Afghanistan at the end of the year so this like all happens at once. And I'm like, okay, so Badwater is in July. I'm leaving for Afghanistan in December. I now have this guy that supposedly I'm marrying. Like, <laughs> when, when am I supposed to fit this all in? Um, so it was really, really crazy, especially since we decided to have a short engagement and get married before I left. So we were engaged for like, we got married six weeks after Badwater. Oh, wow. So it was like a really crazy busy time because I was running at my peak. I was running 120 miles a week. Which I've never run that many miles since then. I mean, it was it was exhausting, but I think I needed it. I mean, honestly, it's a hundred and thirty five mile race. I was on my feet for over forty one hours. Like I think I needed to be running that many miles, plus the sauna training on top of it. You know, because so it was tell like a hundred. That the sauna training. So, so some people are fortunate enough that they can like travel somewhere hot and run in the heat. Like they can go to Arizona mm-hmm. or they can go to like. Southern California, like in Washington, like I was like, hmm, perfect. It's like 75 degrees and drizzling. Like <laughs> this is perfect weather. So I knew I had to do something. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm just going to build up to as long as I can, as hot of a sauna as I can. I'm just going to do it every single day until the race. Um, so I ended up spending um, an hour in a 180 degree sauna every single day. Just, and I would, I would you sit there? Yeah, I would just sit there. So I'd go in like after a run and I would just like sit there. And I don't actually know if it's necessary to like run in the heat to prepare. It was not necessary for me to run in 180 degree weather to prepare for a race that's 125 degrees. I mean, 125 degrees is hot, but like 180 degrees, that's really, that's like, it's like a totally different. That's the sauna temperature? Yeah, yeah. So that was like just a totally different level. So I was like, well... If I'm used to either like 75 degrees outside or 180 degrees, then maybe 125 won't feel so bad. And that logic, it actually totally worked, at least for me. Like, I don't know if I just was a little bit better at uh, like acclimatizing, but 
I did not have a problem with the temperature at Badwater. Now, can you explain to everybody just really quick what Badwater is exactly? Yeah, so Badwater, is, they claim to be the world's toughest foot race. I can honestly say it's the toughest ultramarathon I've ever done. I'm not sure I'm ever going to do one tougher than that. Um, it is 135 miles across Death Valley. You start in the Badwater Basin, which is the lowest point in the United States. at something like 200-something feet below sea level. And then you run up Mount Whitney, which is the highest peak in the lower 48. And then you do all of that in July, the hottest time of the year in Death Valley. So... I think peak temperatures are about 136, and I think the year I ran it was between 125 and 130. Okay. That's insane. How many people did the race when you did it? Uh, about 100 were accepted to run. I think about like 96 showed up to the starting line, and then probably about 80-something finished. Now, I've watched a documentary on it. I don't know which one. I should look that up, though. I should rewatch it before I put this episode out. And it's funny, at least when I watch the, the documentary and you tell me if this is true, it just seemed so casual, like, when everybody started. Like, everybody yeah. shows up, and because it's not a huge crowd, and but no, it's such it's a not. monumental event that it, you know... Yeah, no, it, that's absolutely how it was. Like, they had three starting waves. At least the, when I did it, they had three starting waves. I'm assuming they have something similar. And so, like, when you're starting, it's like, you know, 25, 30 Why did people. they do the waves? Um, probably because you're running through a national park, and there's probably some sort of – and you're running on the road, too. So there's probably some sort of restriction of, like, how many people you can have on the road. They're probably just trying to space it out. Um I think I would imagine that's why, but they had three starting waves and I think I was in the middle starting wave. So you like the first starting wave, like you have people like you think it's crazy that I did it. There was a guy who ran it my year that was like 75. Oh my gosh. Had he done it before? Do you know? Yeah. It was like his eighth time doing it. He's addicted. Yeah. He's like addicted to it. I was like, I think I need even still now a couple more years before I try it again. Before he could, (laughs) but you accomplished it. You did it. You finished. You don't need to try again. You've done it. That's true. Um, What did your support crew look like? So my support crew was, I had three people. um, One of whom was my best friend from high school and she's a runner. Um, She actually just ran the Chicago marathon um, this past week and her PR is like a three Oh nine. So she's pretty quick. She's pretty fast. Um, So she, and she's like my best friend. So um, she was out there with me because I was like, you're going to be there for like, not only like the physical support, but like, you know me better than anybody. So like, I want you to be there too. Um, and then one of them was a guy that I met actually while I was in Missouri, we were both training for our first hundred miler at the same time. Um, so we both ran the Arkansas traveler 100 in 2010. Um, and so we met up for like a couple training runs and he had actually like posted on some Badwater forum that he was looking to be on a race crew for Badwater cause oh, like he wants to run it someday. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I know you let's, let's, let's link up and make this happen. And then the last person that I had on my uh, crew, I actually didn't even meet him until race weekend, but it was like a similar scenario. He kind of like reached out to me on Facebook. He's like, Hey, I think it's really cool what you're trying to do. Um, I've been on race crews like three times. Um, and I'd love to be on your race crew if you're looking for somebody. And I was like, well, shoot, if you've done this three times, like you must, you must be bringing some like tr- awesome knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I've never met you. This sounds, this sounds <laughs> good. We should do that. Um, but I, <laughs> <laughs> this is totally so, safe. 
<laughs> yeah, so we all like fly into like Las Vegas, you know, a couple days before the race. And, you know, we all meet for the first time in person. And but I mean, it, it ended up being really, really great. They are all great people. And I couldn't have done it without them. So was your husband deployed at the time? He was not deployed at the time, but he could not, he had like some mandatory training that he could not um, be at the race. Okay. So, which he's, he's, he has half marathons. He's a runner, but I think he would have like a really hard time seeing me in that much pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, he, he's so supportive of me running um, and he's, he, you know, he's absolutely the best, but I think that there were definitely points in the race that I'm like. I don't know if you needed to see me in that much pain and feel so helpless. And would he have wanted to be like, maybe you should just, you know, get off your feet. I always feel like, and I've never taken on an endeavor like this, but I always feel like sometimes if my husband's there, I might be more apt to being a baby about things too. Yeah, I think so. It's like you're you're the person you're the most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So it's like like you you can give in to your like... Yeah. Weaknesses almost. Do you, so when the, when you had the three people, they're driving a car with you. Is somebody running with you at all times? Or I mean, were there good sections where you had to just to yourself? It's kind of up to you. So for the first, uh, up until the first aid station at the race, you're not allowed to have anybody run with you. And I think that's, again, probably like a national park thing. They just want everybody to spread out a little bit and have fewer people on the road. Now what mile is that? Like 17. Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah. So you're running the first part by yourself. And then after that, you can have somebody running with you the rest of the race if you want. Okay. And so they did switch off a lot with me. Um, and because, you know, they pretty much were responsible for making sure I was eating enough, drinking enough, putting on sunscreen, spraying down with ice water. Like they, I, I didn't even have to think about it, which is great because you get to the point where you can't. Like you can't think about it. I'm like, I don't know the last time I ate or what I ate or what I drank or how many salt tablets I've had. So thank goodness I have three people that are in charge of managing that for me. (laughs) But then there would be times where like maybe I felt like we were in a good stretch and I was in a good place and I would ask to run like a couple miles by myself. And they were, they would be, of course, let me do that too. So it's kind of up to you. Like after that first 17 miles, like you can have somebody with you as often as you want. Do you think it's pretty typical to have around three people as your crew? Yeah, I think so because it's such a long race and they need a break too. I mm-hmm. mean, granted, you're the one you're the one who's running, but they need a break too. I mean, and it's yeah. silly to think that like they don't need to sleep and they don't need to eat and they don't need to, you know, go off and get supplies or whatever the case may be. Like you, they do need to do that um, for themselves too. So you start at like <clears throat> six in the morning or something. I think I started at eight in the morning. I think the first wave was six, and then my wave was eight. And it took you forty-one hours. Mm-hmm. So then you're finishing. It was like two. In the, it was like two in the morning. One in the one thirty in the morning or the something following. like that. Like two days later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so and you never stopped to sleep or anything. No, I didn't sleep at all. Some people did. Like they have at some of the aid stations, they have cots and stuff like that. But I was like, man, I know if I sit down like for longer than it takes to change my shoes, I'm probably not getting back up again. Like, it's just, there's no way. When did you hit points in the race where you were like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this? Did you ever feel like that? Oh, yeah. So the first night that I was um, running, there was like a really, really steep hill and it was really dark. And running through the night is hard anyways. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't really matter if you're running like 10 miles or 135 miles. Like, there's something about once it gets dark out that you're like, your body just kind of shuts down a little bit and it just becomes really, really hard. And all the ultras I've done, like running at night is my least favorite part. 
Does it feel um, cooler though? I mean, temperature wise? It does feel, it does feel cooler, but it also is like, it's so quiet. Like mm. Death Valley is in the middle of nowhere. Like you just feel like you can really get in your head because it's so quiet. There's nothing there. Um, one of my pacers, he actually ran the first night with me and it was a lot of climbing. I want to say it was like, well, the whole race is a lot of climbing. Uh-huh. So that's okay to say, but I think it was like leading up to mile, like maybe like 70, 80, somewhere, somewhere in there. And he was actually, um, studying for his PhD. And so I had him like spend the entire night telling me about his research. And you learned a lot. Like, you were getting educated. <laughs> I was like, I just need you to tell me something that I don't have to like contribute mm. to the conversation and I can just listen. And he's like, well, I can tell you about my PhD research. And I was like, <laughs> that sounds perfect. I would love to hear about that research. Um, so that was like a hard point. There was a point in the race and it was like right around mile 90 where my crew vehicle broke down. And so, and they didn't tell me about it, mm. which was maybe a good decision, maybe not. So like kind of the way it all went down was like I had a pacer with me and uh, my best friend and then uh, Colin, who was the, the, the guy that I hadn't met until the race, they were like in the vehicle when it had broken. And so we had kind of had a plan like when they were going to switch off and when I was going to see them again. And you see your crew vehicle like every mile or two, like they're on the same road that you are. So if you don't see them for a while, like it's kind of weird. So they said that they first they told me like, well, we they had to go off and get some more like ice or something or whatever. They had to go off and they'll be back in like, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So we're just like going along, going along. So it's been a while. Like we still don't see them. I'm like, I know something's up. So my pacer, like he kind of panicked and didn't know what to say. So he said that Colin, who was my, like, crew chief, got really sick. Oh, and they had to take him to the hospital, which was, like, the worst <laughs> thing to tell me. Um, so I'm, like, absolutely in a panic. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, is he okay? Like, I still have, like, the hardest 40 miles of the race to go. Like, I still have to climb Mount Whitney. Like, I have none of my supplies. I have nothing here. It was just, like, it was just, like, absolutely a nightmare. And he was like, okay, okay. Actually, the vehicle broke down. <laughs> And I don't know, you know, like they t- my crew totally had a plan for like how to get me what I needed, but for whatever reason, like I couldn't handle that. Like that was just like, I couldn't like, I, the fact that I didn't know when I was going to get to change my socks or when I was going to get sprayed down with ice water, it was like too much. Um, and I like kind of like mentally shut down like at that point. And that was like really, really hard. And I like remember when I saw the rest of my crew again, I was like sobbing, like tears streaming down my face because I was like, thank God you guys made it back. Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the whole debacle was probably like four hours but it still felt like. Did they get it fixed, the car? Yeah, the car got fixed. But actually, you know what? Um, there was another girl, and she was actually the 24-year-old. Her name's Alexa, um, who was running the race. And she had two vehicles because she had such a big crew. She, like, gave us one of her vehicles. Aww. And, like, w- like other people were, like, asking if I needed anything. Like, other people's race crews. Like, so even as, like, tough and competitive as the race is, like, everybody was kind of like, we're here for you. Like, we're all here. We're all in this together. Like, it's mile 100. We can all <laughs> we can all kind of help each other out. And so everybody was, like, really, really generous and helpful. So that, that helped get me through it, too. So you say it's competitive. I mean, are people – because, I mean, in my mindset, unless I'm, you know – trying to win or whatever, like, I'm just trying to complete the race. Are you, were you going into it thinking, I want to be the first female or what? 
No, I knew that, that was unrealistic. Um, yeah, I, but I, when I say competitive, I'm the so the girl who gave me her vehicle, she was one of the girls who wanted to be the youngest female to finish. Oh, but it didn't matter if she finished before you or not. No, she actually did finish before me, but, you know, like, I could have dropped out at that point. Like, I could Okay, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, so, but, she, like, it's like she didn't even think about that. Yeah. She just wanted to make sure that we all got together and got across the finish line. Yeah, so. the record's just who, the youngest female to finish, yeah. not in a certain mm-hmm. time. Man, that's so funny, because I, I just imagine, like, when you sign up for that, you're thinking, is anybody younger than me signing up? Is anybody younger <laughs> than me signing up, you know? Mm-hmm. And did she, did you know ahead of time? That you were the youngest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I knew in advance that I was the youngest. Um, so, like, when I crossed the finish line, and it was, again, like, super early in the morning, I was super exhausted. Um, and because Death Valley is, like, in the middle of nowhere, like, it was so disorienting because, like, people had headlamps, and the cars had lights, and the stars are so bright that I was like, I have no idea where the top of this mountain is. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I, you can't tell, like, where people's headlamps end and when the stars begin. So like, it literally just seems like you have forever to go. Like, it's like the mountain is surrounding you. You're like, I have no idea. But where did you know you were like a mile or two from the finish? Yeah, but it still feels so long. Yeah. Like, you, you, I knew that I was like a mile from the finish and it was like, I think there was an aid station at like mile 132. Mm. Like, so like I knew I had three miles to go even at that okay. point And I still like, I, it's too far. Like it's, it's too far. I can't do it. Do you feel like those were the longest three miles you've ever done in your life? All the miles up Mount Whitney. It's like a 10 mile, like pretty much like straight up climb. And it was like, it and that's was, at the it, very it, end. Yeah. It was so hard. <laughs> what are some of the things that you did mind wise to get through the really tough parts? Um, I think this kind of applies to ultras in general. So ultras are a little different. They're, well, they're different from road races in a lot of ways, but ultras don't have mile markers. Mm. They just have aid stations. So, um, you know, like generally in 100 milers, like aid stations are anywhere between 4 and 10 miles apart. It just kind of depends on like accessibility. Um, in Badwater, they're a little bit further apart, but that's because your crew is like so accessible to you that they really don't need to have them every four miles. So like I just had to tell myself, like just get to the next aid station. Like if the next aid station's in five miles, then that's what you need to get to. And then when it got really bad, I'd be like, okay, my crew is going to be a mile ahead of where I am right now. And I just need to get through this next mile. And then, and then I'll, and then like, I would like trick myself and, like, and then I get to change my socks and then I get to like mm. eat a snack mm-hmm. and then I can like, you know, whatever it is that's going to um, like encourage you. You just, you really, you really can't think about the big picture. Like even when I was like three miles from the finish line, even that was too big of a picture to think about. And I had mm-hmm. to like take, break it down like even further um, to like just get to the next steps in front of me. Did you wear a watch, like a GPS watch? I did not wear a GPS watch. I've actually never worn a GPS oh. watch while running, ever. So uh, did you wear a watch just to keep track of time? Yeah, I, I just always have a watch. And I just kind of know what time it is in general and like how far I've gone and like just have like a r- very, very rough idea of how long things are taking me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's a 48 hour limit. Okay, like, I was wondering so, about that. So I guess I was kind of like looking at that to know when 48 hours was. Um, so you I had never really, seven hours to spare? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I never actually had any concerns about like not making it in time. But okay. I just had the watch on. But no, I've never worn a GPS watch. So I really didn't know how far it was I was just saying one of my crew had a GPS watch and she like kept losing signal and Mm, it was not 
yeah, so it, even that might have been more frustration than it was worth. Did you ever listen to music or anything, or is that even allowed? Um, you know, I don't know if it's allowed, but I did not listen to music. But, like, you could have, like, music playing in your crew vehicle's car. I was thinking about that, yeah. Yeah, so I um, I do listen to music if I'm running on a treadmill now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually not something I started doing until after I deployed. Mm-hmm. Because that was, like, the, really the first time I was running on a treadmill. And I was like, this is, like, the worst form of <laughs> so running boring. in the world. Um, but I don't, I never have, worn, like, run with music other than that. Do you not run with music outside for safety reasons? Or is it just not something you're interested in? Um, it's a little bit of both. It mm-hmm. kind of started out because it was not something that I was interested in, but then like the more that I think about it, like you can't hear anything no. like just one earbud and like you can hear so little. And I know you talked about this on, mm-hmm. um, the podcast with Michelle and, uh, I can't remember the other two, Erica but you guys, were, Laura. yeah, yeah. You guys were talking about the safety a lot and you know, it's, yeah, it's just not, it's just, to me, it's just not a good idea. Like, it's mm-hmm. not worth it. And I had never run with music before, and I was fine. Like, it's not like I felt like I needed it. Um, I almost felt like it was, like, distracting, because especially when you're running on trails and things like that, like, you really need to be paying attention. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have the, you, can, you can't, like, tune out and not pay attention to where you're going, because that's, like, the 30 seconds it takes you to trip and break your ankle. So, uh, but on a treadmill, I always listen to music or a podcast or something, because it's just like a special form of hell. Um, as well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I can't handle treadmill running without music or podcast. And I, I actually don't mind treadmill running. I've always kind of been like, eh, whatever, I'll run the treadmill. Especially like once you have kids, you can take them to the gym or the childcare there. Um, right. but if I show up and I forget my headphones or something, I'm like, Oh, I cannot even fathom running six miles on this thing without something to, I know about. it's, terrible we um our like Christmas gift uh, my husband and I like to each other this past year was to like convert our garage into a home gym so we've got a treadmill in there now and like a rowing machine and like some stuff for like circuit type exercises yeah it's it's awesome but like the first time he ran on the treadmill he didn't have headphones and I was like what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) what kind of treadmill do you guys have Oh gosh, I bought it off of a friend. Actually, she was in the army and she was moving, and she could, she wasn't going to be able to take it with her. I have to, I'd have to look and get back to you. But um, I like it, um, and she gave it to us for a really good price. So that's the other reason why I like it. <laughs> I like. I kind of want to get one, but I kind of also I like going to the gym because I can take my kids there. Yeah. And- do my thing and then I don't I don't have to waste nap time like running you know you want to do other things during nap time um but gosh there's so many mornings when you know my husband's outside running at five in the morning which I wouldn't do for safety reasons and I'm like wow we could both be getting our runs finished and done while all the kids are sleeping you know if I could just go on the treadmill and we had a treadmill like a sole treadmill um I think it was like nine hundred dollars so it was like not super top of the line, but it, it's really just not, it's not as good as like the gym treadmills, you know, it's not that quality. Right. So if you're trying to do speed work or something, it's really hard to do it on a treadmill. That's not really good quality. Yeah. And then like what I run into is like a lot of the training that I have to do has to be on trails. Like mm-hmm. you just can't replicate no. the way that a trail is going to affect your joints versus mm-hmm. a road. So it's, I don't know, we'll have to see. I haven't really decided what my first race, like, after the baby's born is going to be, but I'm sure that'll be interesting to try to figure out, like, how and when I train for it. Because it's not like I can run on trails at 
five o'clock in the morning right. they're in the middle of nowhere it's just not safe and this is kind of like a new thing for me because when I was in the army and I was training for bad water like I would go I would wake up at like four to get my first run in for the day but like when you're on a military installation like it's it's 24 7 mm-hmm. people are always awake mm-hmm. and so I had like a really good run route too where I was like running around an airfield like literally there were cars all the time like people are always training like morning noon and night and now that I'm like not in the army people are not up and running at four o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. like they might be in the army it's just a different world so I'm still kind of adjusting to that um I know when my husband was training for one of his ultras um he just he did a lot of um climbing on the treadmill just you know oh yeah like even just walking climbing just Mm -hmm. that 15 incline and just go to town and just to get his heart rate up, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, and, oh, that was a question I was going to ask you. So um, he did, well, he actually, my husband ended up having to drop out of the Barkley Fall Classic because he um, ended up having. Barkley? Did you say Barkley? Yes. Not, he now, oh my. no, he didn't, wasn't doing Barkley's. He was oh, okay. doing the Fall Classic. The Fall Classic okay. is like, I think it's like 35 miles. Okay, still. Um, right. Well, he ended up dropping out because um, he basically almost passed out on the course and then mm-hmm. went to the doctor and found out his iron was, like, rock bottom. Um, so he didn't complete it. It's the first time he's ever, you know, not completed a race. Um, yeah. With good reason. And he's just now – this was last September, like, in 2015, and he's just now – back to good iron levels and feeling good he's training for a marathon we were talking about the interview beforehand and he asked me if he told me I should ask you if uh that was on your list Barclays yeah so I don't gosh I have so many races on my list every time I hear about that one there's like something appealing to about it but I'm like is it too crazy like is it too Like, my next big, like, big, big running goal, and this is probably something I won't even accomplish for at least at least a couple years, um, but I want to do the Grand Slam of ultra running, which you run, um, so running a 100-miler once a year is a big deal, but this, in this um, challenge, you do the Leadville 100, the Western States 100, Wasatch Front 100, which is in um, Montana. Montana or Minnesota and then the Vermont 100 and you run them all in the same year so you are basically running like a hundred mile or like once a month um and so that's like my next big running goal Uh, um I'm like I'm like a very goal-oriented person even if it's like a very long-term goal so I feel like if I run out of goals Mm -hmm. that would probably be one of them Mm -hmm. but I think I just have other things I want to accomplish first well I feel like with Barkley so for anybody listening that doesn't know Barclays a marathon, it's a it's a hundred miles or some around and it's four laps. Plus, yeah. yeah <laughs> give or take. And it's four these four loops, but you have no direction on the course. Like you have to navigate it's like mountaineering almost. You have to navigate the entire thing through the dark by yourself. You're not allowed to have are you allowed to oh once you get to fifty miles maybe you're allowed to have support on the course. I don't know. I don't know. I actually don't know at all if you're allowed to have support. I think you can have a crew, but I don't know if you can have somebody running with you. The support, the, the six, the finish rate is like one person each year, maybe finishes. Maybe. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and I have a friend who, um, I think he's attempted it twice. And that's, I think pretty common with the people who finish it. If they've, is they've attempted it more than one time. Yeah. And, I think if you're going to do it, you have to spend a lot of time out. You need to spend time out there because you need to learn the lay of the land. But we were saying you would be a really good candidate because of your military experience. You're probably really good with directions and figuring stuff out like that, right? 
Um, it's, it's funny that you say that. You should ask my husband. You should ask my husband that question. <laughs> well, I feel like um, with what you've been through, I mean, you were deployed to Afghanistan. Don't you have to like? You just gotta figure shit out sometimes. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yes. Especially in Afghanistan, do you ever have to just figure shit out? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I probably have like I can read a map and I can navigate and stuff like that. It would probably take me like a lot of practice mm. um, just to get back into it, just because it's been a while. Um, but it's funny that you asked that because my husband and I, when we met during our training, we were like paired up for like our navigation training and he was like much better at it than I was. And he just, he just like made, made fun of me a lot. It's not that I can't navigate, but he just was like very, very good at it. So he makes fun of me. But like, I'm just going to go ahead and marry you so you can take control of this for the rest of my life. (laughs) Yeah. Like this this sounds fun. You can just always give me directions. (laughs) So with the hundred milers, I mean, so it's like, we're talking about Badwater here, but you did three hundred milers mm-hmm. before Badwater. I mean, that's... And then I did one after Badwater. Okay. I did one after I got back from Afghanistan, so you've too. you've done five. Yeah. <clears throat> I feel like we're talking so much about Badwater and your hundred milers, and it's like, we have this whole other topic that you deployed to Afghanistan for... <laughs> what? How long were you there? I was supposed to be gone for nine months. It got cut short to six. Oh, Okay. Hey everyone, before we continue our conversation with Claire, I want to give a huge thank you to Generation UCAN for sponsoring this episode of All Have Another. I really encourage you guys to try out this product. It's a revolutionary super starch that changes the way you can energize your runs and your workouts. It's a natural, slow-releasing carbohydrate that keeps your blood sugar stable. They use a super starch, which is their key ingredient, and I'm telling you I've used it and it makes me feel strong and steady my entire run. You guys can go to generationucan.com slash another and use the promo code another all caps to receive a 15% discount. That's a pretty big discount and I guarantee you won't be disappointed in this product. You will not be feeling like you have any spikes in your blood sugar or a crash from low blood sugar and no more bonking or GI stress during your runs. You guys all know Meb. He uses this product, four-time Olympian, Boston Marathon champion. If Meb likes it, it's got to be good, right? generationucan.com slash another use promo code another all caps for your 15% discount. Thanks Generation UCAN. Your first 100 miler. I mean, yeah. when you're going into that and, and I've seen people do the 100 milers um, when I've been at races like when Glenn's done, he did 100K and then these other mm-hmm. people were doing the 100 miler. Just like running through the night in the woods. I mean, how do you get through the disorienting part of that, you know? Um, the first thing I would say is to get a really good headlamp, like Mm -hmm. the best that money can buy. I did not have a good headlamp for my first hundred miler. And like, I almost had to drop out. Mm. Like it was that, it was that bad. I ended up like latching on to another runner and her pacer. And like, I basically stayed with them for like 50 miles because I was like sorely. I just like, I had no idea like how, cause there's like darkness and then there's like darkness in the woods where there's no civilization. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would definitely say like the best headlamp money can buy and carry that bad boy with you from the start of the race. Like I know it's not going to get dark for 12 hours. Keep it with you because it's going to get dark so fast. And if you think you can wait to like the next aid station or whatever, like you might not be able to, and then always have spare batteries for it too. Like that, that is huge. It sounds so, so basic. I had changed the batteries in my headlamp, but they still died in an hour. And it's just like, disaster just keep it with you have it like spend spend a hundred plus dollars on it like you will not regret it and then for me um since my first hundred miler I've always had a pacer with me at night 
always. And I've made sure that they're fresh. I've made sure that they haven't run at any other point in the race. Um, and that they are like going to be with me for that, you know, eight, 10, whatever, however many hour chunk, uh, that it's dark out and they're going to like help me through that. So you didn't have that for your first one? I did not because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> did you have a pacer at all any time during that race? No, in my first 100 miler, I did not. Gosh, everybody else that was running was probably like, that girl is crazy. She's doing this completely solo. Oh, my gosh. And then I started out, like, my first 100 miler, I was like, I'm going to start out really fast because running <laughs> under running, running sub 24 hours sounds like a good idea, which is a great <laughs> idea if you, like, know what you're doing. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was, uh, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. It was a, that race was a good, good learning experience. That's pretty amazing um, that you finished it though. I mean, yeah, I, I was, well, so, you know, it was in my head is I was like, if I don't do the miler and then I can't apply to bad water and then I'm not going to accomplish it. So it was like, everything was linked back to bad water. So I was like, mm-hmm. I have to finish this race because I need it to have it on my like running resume. Do you think so. your military experience is a lot of what made you mentally strong enough to get through all of that? Um, that's probably a big part of it. Um, I mean, mentally tough people come from all walks of life, I think, but in ultra running, you, you definitely need to take us, take it to like the next level as far as mental toughness goes. Like, um, it's, it's just, it's just a long time. It's just a really, really long time to be out there and running through the night is, is no joke and running up and down mountains is no joke. And sometimes the weather is also bad too. It's just like all of these things and you're out there alone. It's just like a totally, totally different ball game. Um, not to say that it's like harder than like, if you're somebody who runs half marathons or like, I'm never going to run a three hour marathon. Like to me, that is like, what's the impossible thing, not running a hundred miles. So just kind of, it's all a matter of perspective. But if you want to run the ultra marathon, if you, if that's your goal, it's, you, you need to be okay with being out there by yourself. You need to be okay with like being, being alone and having yourself be your only form of support. Do you, so you're thinking when you do this Grand Slam thing, you're thinking, will that be like two years removed from when this baby is born that you're about yeah. to have? So I, that, that, like running when after you've had kids and you've already gone through this twice and you're going to go through it again. So I like, after my son was born, um, I kind of was in like a bit of a running rut. I like was put a lot of pressure on myself to get back into it really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually tried doing a 100 miler when he was like seven months old. Oh my gosh. Um, which was so dumb. Like I just like, I put this like inordinate amount of pressure on myself. Like I could have done a 50 K. Right. I done a half marathon. A marathon. And that would have, I could have done a 5 K and that still would have felt like an accomplishment. Um, but like, I just put this crazy amount of pressure on myself. Cause I was like, Oh, well I've done bad water. Like there's these expectations. Like I have to run a hundred miles or it doesn't really count. Um, which is sometimes people's perspective. They'll be like, Oh, it's just a 50 K mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's nothing for you. And I'm like a 50 K is still 32 and a half miles. Like <laughs> it's still really hard. Right. And like, I'm still trying to run fast, like for that distance. Right. Like it's not, it's not like running somehow becomes super easy for me just because I've done X, Y, and Z. Um, so anyways, I like put too much pressure on myself. I ended up having to drop out of the race at like mile 54 because I just like, I wasn't properly trained. Um, I ended up, my Achilles ended up like flaring up super bad, like worse than I've ever had it. Like it was just like not a good experience. I ended up dropping from the race and then I ended up having like a bunch of mom guilt about training. Mm -hmm. 
which I know Michelle probably talked a little bit about hers um, on her podcast too, but it's like, you're like, well, I'm working. And then if I'm not working and I'm running, is that time I should be spending with my kids? Like, is that time that I should be doing, you know, something else? Is it time I should be spending with my husband? It's like, you, you, you just, you can't do it all. And I think I was really, really trying to do it all. And it like totally came like crashing down. It was Mm -hmm. like, and then I was in like a running rut after that race too. And then I got pregnant again. So now like finally, (laughs) so now finally I'm at the point where I feel like I'm hungry to run again. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm hungry to race again, which is like a really, really good feeling mm-hmm. um, because I feel like for a really long time, I was just feeling really guilty about training and the work-life balance and trying to figure all that out. So to answer your question, also another thing I learned is pumping during a 100 miler, while it is possible, is a disaster. Mm. So I will not be running any races that long if I'm nursing. Yeah. Well, you have to pump. You would have to pump during 100 miler. Like, I've ran marathons when breastfeeding, but any longer than that, it's like, that's about as long as you can go, probably. Right. And then you're stopping. Mm-hmm. You're stopping to pump. Which and what takes, do you do? You, you know, just half- carry a hand pump? No, I, I, would, I would pump at aid stations. Mm-hmm. So, like, I had, for that race, I had, like, my race crew. She had, like, the battery pack mm-hmm. all ready to go, and I could just, like, but still, you're sitting down, you're stopping, and yeah. then you've got to keep going again, and it was just, like, you know, I, I was, like, I guess I just was, like, I need to feel like I'm superwoman, but mm-hmm. I was, like, you know what? Moms are superwomen. You're already doing it. Like, you don't need to, like, prove anything else. You're you're already doing it. You don't need to, like, also go run 100 miles while pumping while you're not training. Well, I mean, 54, you might have dropped out, but 54 miles, <laughs> seven months postpartum is pretty dang impressive. <laughs> well thanks so I think my first race back after this one's born will probably be like a 50k where yeah. it's like not like something where maybe I can pump one time and mm-hmm. like I, I don't really have to worry about it um and the training is a little bit less mileage and stuff like that so I don't know when I would do the grand slam um we do want more kids too mm-hmm. so it's like how how do you balance all of that with the training and the expense of it and how old do you want your kids to be so I think I'll know when the time is right, but probably at least two years. That kid thing makes it hard because you ha- like for me, I have all these goals, like time goals. I want to get my marathon time sure. down, and it's like you think, okay, well, I'm early thirties now, but like at, for every kid, that's like essentially an extra two years because mm-hmm. you're you're basically pregnant for almost a year, give or take, whatever, mm-hmm. and then the recovery time and the getting back in shape time. And mm-hmm. it's like, really? And then it's like, well, now you might be thinking about having another kid because yes. you want them to be close in age. By the time you're like, from my first kid, I say, once I was probably 10 months removed from having him to a year, I think I was probably in the best shape of my life, honestly. And then as soon as you do that and check something off your list, if you want to have more kids, you're like, well, I guess it's time to try to get pregnant again. (laughs) No, I know. So it's like, you're just trying to figure it all out. But I guess the way that I see it too, like I'm 28 right now. I'm like, I'm not going to even really peak as far as running goes for a little while. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even now, I'm still one of the youngest people there in my Mm -hmm. twenties. Yeah. And I've been doing this for years. Yeah. And, um, so I'm like, I, you know, I have time to figure it out. Like my family's important too. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe for, maybe, maybe I try to bring my 50 K time down. Like for me, it's always been about the length. Like mm-hmm. maybe I try to focus on the speed for a shorter distance and maybe that's more manageable. Yeah. Um, I fully intend on like the late mid to late thirties to be my, 
my teen years. So maybe some people do it in their early 30s, but mine's going to be my late 30s. Me too. I'm with you. <laughs> so I have a million other questions I could ask you about bad water, but I want to get to some random goody fun stuff as well. Sure. What are you loving in your life right now? Other than not being pregnant anymore, probably. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm like, this baby's coming in six weeks. Like, are we really ready to have another kid? (laughs) Uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, one thing that I'm loving right now, so I haven't been running as much during this pregnancy as my last one. It's just like felt different and like Mm -hmm. not as good. But then I think about it and like, you know, with my first pregnancy, like I ran a 100 miler Mm -hmm. and then like two weeks later got pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I was like in really good physical Mm -hmm. shape. So for me, like I could run through, like it was no problem to continue running and keep running, um, with, with my son Layton. But this time around I was coming off of an injury. So I have been like trying to stay in shape through other ways. Uh, one of my West Point classmates, um, she spent five years in the army and now she's out, but she's developed um, like a physical fitness program for pregnant women. And like oh. she focuses on like pregnancy and postpartum. Um, her name's Ashley Keller and her program is called Glow Body PT. And she was a professional um, half iron. She was a professional triathlete while she was in college. Like, so she was amazing. Like Crazy. she was like sponsored, like she won like the half Ironman amateur world championships while are, she was in college. You are not partying if you're doing that in college. Yeah, she, like she is like an amazing, amazing person and she's had two kids. And so she's done these like amazing prenatal videos and I've been doing them pretty much my whole pregnancy. They're broken up by trimester. Um, and so cool. she's awesome. And then she has a postpartum plan too. And she does like individualized, like, personal training and she does Spartan races now. Okay. So does she have an app or is it just all YouTube? It's all YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Glowbots PT. She's awesome. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes for sure. Cool. So I have to give her a shout out because, um, I love that. She's, she's amazing. Yeah. Should I, I mean, jump I on that with five days to go in my pregnancy? Yeah, do it. Do the third <laughs> trimester workout. Actually, you might really like the, yo- she has a yoga one. Um, I would. Really- I would. And I am, the same as you with the not running as much this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I ran quite a bit my first two pregnancies, and I ran a decent amount until about probably five or six weeks ago, and now I'm like once a week. I just yeah, I don't feel great, and I feel bad when I run, and I'm tired, and I'm just like, what is the point, you know? I'm, yeah. I'm active. Like, I'm vacuuming my house, my entire house, like three days I'm chasing around two other kids. That's enough. <laughs> right. I know. That's what I told Glenn. I was like, even if I didn't exercise at all, I feel like I'm on my feet all day running these kids around. I would still be active yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have one kid and I feel that way. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I finally just got to the point where, you know, my other two pregnancies, I think I was probably running up up until the very end. I ran until the day before I, I delivered. And um, I think I was probably like three to four days a week consistently the entire time. Mm-hmm. And as of like five weeks ago, probably I'm just like maybe once a week. I I haven't ran in 10 days probably. And I don't care. Like I had this like stronghold on my head before. Like I want to run until the day I give birth. And now I'm like, why? So I can post it on Instagram. Like who cares? Is that going to really affect the first race that you do back? Like eight months from now like is that last run you got in at like 15 minute pace was that really what (laughs) set you over the edge (laughs) and like nobody cares so yeah like just I'm just totally we just put the pressure on ourselves I know (laughs) so anyway anything else you're loving 
Um, I am loving fall. I think I that fall is like a great time of year to be in your third trimester, um, especially being in Atlanta where it's hotter right now. I'm like, I miss the 60 degree weather in Seattle. That's for sure. It's been a hot summer to be pregnant here in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. I'm I'm originally from Chicago. I don't plan to go back there. Uh, yeah. It is not good weather. Yeah, it's been so hot. And I mean, we've only had three weeks probably of not super hot. So I feel yeah. like anything you're not loving so much. I don't really love politics in general, but mm-hmm. I really don't love them right now. I, I mean, it's just like obnoxious. I'm like, can we just like fast forward through the next four years? Like, I don't. I know. I've never been, again, I've never been somebody who's into politics, but I'm just like, is this where we're at? Like, this is, this is real life. It's real life. And this is like, I, I, part of me is like, is this like the reality show? Like, you know, presidency. Like, (laughs) I tell you what, I need to catch up on SNL because everybody's talking about it now. And SNL is always the best during election season. Crazy thing is, is this episode, when this episode airs, Airs, uh-huh. we will have a new president. So I'm like, because oh I'm going to put it out like the second week in November. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's insane to think about. Well, I then maybe it'll be still something that I'm not loving. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Either way. Either um, way. <laughs> what's the best, most recent book that you've read? Um, I'm reading some beach reads right now. I'm reading The Weekenders right now by Mary Kay Andrews. Um, so like, I'm just kind of reading like, fluffy stuff mm-hmm. um which seems like because I've been in Atlanta and we just got back from vacation in Florida and I'm like eh, it's still summer here so I'm gonna read some beachy reads so I'm like halfway through it and it's pretty good um I also try mm-hmm. to like balance reading like books for fun with like parenting type mm-hmm. books and I just read a book called siblings without rivalry and I can't remember who wrote it um, but I'm sure if you look up siblings without rivalry, it'll come up and it's, uh, it was really interesting. It seemed like all like very common sense with like, this is how you should deal with it. Like, like with tantrums and issues between your children, mm-hmm. but it's like not common sense because like clearly our like initial reaction as parents is probably to yell or probably to like maybe not handle it the best, most appropriate way. Um, it's a really short read. I highly recommend it to anybody who has, multiple kids of any age um because it kind of it kind of talks about like the baby the like the new baby and toddler years and then it talks about like teenagers and talks about when you have like one teenager and then like a 10 year old and the 10 year old wants to do everything the teenager's doing it so it's like it covers a lot of different things I really really like it and that because of pregnancy brain I feel like I probably need to read it again (laughs) but it's a great totally interesting okay I love it um I just ordered I've never read a parenting book I want to make sure I'm not lying. I'm thinking, no, I haven't. Um, but I recently, because I had been struggling with a lot of discipline issues with my four-year-old, which started when he was two, you know. Um, mm. But once, you know, things have gotten a lot. Three was probably the hardest year of my life when he was three. Um, yeah. And then four has been significantly easier. But there's still okay. those, like, tantrums that I'm like, I don't really know how to quite handle this. Like, I know I shouldn't yell right now. That's not going to solve anything. That's the mm-hmm. only thing I can get myself to do. And yeah. I, I forget what the book is called. Um, like whole brain discipline or something like that. Yeah, uh, No drama discipline. No I drama just read discipline. It. Is that it's so it? good. Yes. It that was, is I it. hope that's it. The, is it like so, a colorful, there's a colorful yep. logo on the front? Yeah. So no drama discipline is actually 
written by the same people who wrote like the whole brain child, which is why you might be yes. mixing them up. So I did not read the whole brain child. I did read no drama discipline. It was fantastic. That's what so. I, okay. That's what I started reading. Um, yeah, I really liked it. And I, I'm super early on. Like I need to, what I need to do is put it in my schedule and say for 15 minutes every day, I'm going to read a little bit of this or else I'll never, yeah. never get through it. Um, but a lot of the beginning talks about just like connecting with your child and I I can't, I don't know, I can't wrap my head around it yet, but I need to get through the whole book. Yeah, I felt like when I first started reading the book too, I was like, okay, but like if your kid is losing it, uh-huh. like Target and they're like on their they're like hands hitting, or like they're hitting you the or smacking yeah, you. Yeah, it's like what... And, and the book does kind of get better. It'll acknowledge that. Like, yes, yeah. we understand that this is hard. It's like we're – it's kind of like just giving you the tools that maybe if you just have them in your brain that maybe 75% of the time you'll go there and yeah. you'll use that tool instead of the other tool. But sometimes, right. like, yeah, if your kid's, like, about to run across a crowded parking lot, like, you're not going to stop to think to connect with them. You're going <laughs> to yell at them. Right. Um, but – it is still a good book. It makes you think. If nothing else, yeah. it'll make you think. And co- probably makes you think to more than anything. Calm yourself down. Yeah, you know. Um, I do. I am going to finish it. I'm holding myself accountable there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I don't know if you've listened to it, but I had a parenting, um, for lack of a better term, expert. Um, yeah, she was on, on. A, like, early on. I did listen to yeah, that one, Marianne Miller, episode nine, I think it was, and. She gives a lot of really good advice, and I wish I could adhere to it 100% of the time. I'm, I am not that disciplined, but she gives some really great advice. And actually, one of the things that she said was, um, we talked about was, well, first of all, how different every single kid is. And so mm-hmm. you can't approach it the same way. Like some kids are a level one, some kids are a level four um, as far as difficulty with behavior. Mm-hmm. And this happened to me just the other day at Trader Joe's. Marshall, my older one, he's, he's my, um, he's difficult for me. He wanted the stickers and he was being really rude about how he wanted them. And then he wouldn't say thank you. And then I get to this point where, um, Marianne says, don't force your kid to say thank you. You know, if your Mm -hmm. kid, your child won't say thank you, you say thank you and you walk away and then you explain to your child, this is why it's nice to say thank you. It makes people feel good, you know? But I'm sitting here at Trader Joe's and the woman's holding the stickers waiting for him to say thank you. And I'm like, I can't force him to say thank you right now. This is turning into a really awkward situation Mm -hmm. because there's people in line behind us. And they're probably judging me for not making my kids say thank you. But, like, we don't have time to deal with this right now. And I will explain it to him when I walk out the store. But that's really not your business. You know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes, I gosh, you can't help avoid that with people. Like, one of the things that I read about, I think I, I think it was a no drama discipline. It might have been in a different book. Um, but it was like when your kid falls down, like, it's kind of like the gut reaction to tell your kid, like, it's okay. Mm. But, like, if I saw you fall down on the street, I would not be like it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're going to say, are you okay? Like, can I help you up? Is there anything that you need? So I like, like, that's like the latest thing for me is like, if, if my son falls down, I like pick him up. I'm like, are you okay? Like, do you need a hug? And usually 99% of the time he's fine. 
but sometimes he's not. Like, maybe he did really hurt himself. Maybe his lip's bleeding. I'm not going to tell a 21-month-old, like, oh, you're brushing off. You're a tough kid. Like, you know, he's hurt. He's hurt, and he needs to know those emotions are okay to have. So that's kind of, like, the latest thing. Like, if we're at the park or something and he falls, as he does, because he's like, I can run. I'm 21 months old. I've been running. I've been walking for five months. Like, I'm fine. Um, And he, like, takes off and he falls. Like, you know, strangers will be like, oh, like, you're, you're okay. You're a big, tough kid. And I'm like, but he's not okay. Like he was just running and fell flat on his face. Like I would not be okay if that happened to me. Yeah. It's like, I never thought about uh-uh, it. But, like, I haven't either. It's totally, it's totally right. Like he, maybe he's not okay. Cause he just fell on his face. Like yeah. that, that hurts anybody. That's super interesting to me because I, I am in the boat that you were just saying before I, I was where too. I'm like, I brush too. it off. You're tough. You can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. But you, and you can still say you're tough, you can handle it, but first find yeah. out, are you okay? Yeah. That is so smart. I, I'm learning really great parenting <laughs> advice right now. You know, you never can, you're, you never know enough. You always keep learning. Yeah, I know. I always um, feel like an amateur. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, or I'll see someone at the park, a parent do something that I've never tried before. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should take notes. Yeah, like, can we be friends and, like, swap stories? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you use a timer when it's time to tell your kid to leave the park? What about any podcasts that you're loving or shows? I love yours. I love yours, obviously. Um, (laughs) I love the podcast uh, Totally Married and Totally Mommy, but um, the Totally Mommy podcast is actually, they just announced that they're going to be, like, canceling it, um, unfortunately. But, like, I mean, it's been on for years, so you could start at the beginning. and um, I. So, like, the Totally Married podcast is, like, a married couple, and then the Totally Mommy podcast is, like, the mom of the couple okay. with, like, a friend of hers. So, it's all kind of related. Um, Why are they canceling just, like, it? I, I think they just – one of their reasons was they don't have enough time. Like, they, this is, like, a fun side job for mm-hmm. them. It's not mm-hmm. a full-time gig. Um, and then another reason was because they just felt like their kids were getting older, and they didn't know how comfortable they felt, like, talking about oh, their lives. Like they're the going air. through it in the stages that they're actually in. Yeah. Yeah, so they're like, well, like, it was okay when they were, like, babies, mm-hmm. but now they're, like, real people, and we're not sure how comfortable we are with that discussing their lives. Which, you know, of course, that's, like, always the thing, like, how much do you share, how much do you share on social media, so, I don't know. I know, because uh, once they get to a certain age, especially if they're, like, 11, 12, and they're going to start getting their own social media, and it's a whole yeah, other ballgame than when you have a two-year-old, you know? Yeah, and then um, my husband and I both listen to Freakonomics, and we'll, like, li- try to listen to episodes at, like, the same time, and then we'll, like, discuss them, oh, because we're that. huge nerds like that. No, so. I wish that I had something like that with my husband that I could then... Freakonomics is a good one, though. I don't know. It sounds too intelligent for me. <laughs> um, some of the episodes... So my husband's kind of a history buff, and okay. so if they ever talk about anything too history, I'm like, nah, skip. I can't handle that. That's boring. <laughs> my um, husband but would probably talk- like it, though. They talk about, like, it's, like, it's, like, all kinds of, like, I don't know, uh, super interesting. Like, one of them, they, like, interviewed the, the uh, mayor of Los Angeles. Oh, that's And they just, like, you know, yeah. interviewed him and, like, talked about, like, life with that. Um, I think one of the more, more recent ones, I think they probably have something about, like, the election. I think they, like, talk about Gary Johnson or something like that. Um, Is one it of weekly? them, they, Huh? Is it weekly? Yeah, it's weekly. Uh, one of them, they talked about, um, 
Uh, gosh, what are some of the good ones that I've really, really liked? They talk about like women in the workforce. Mm-hmm. They talk about the gender wage gap. They talk mm-hmm. about, it's just like, it's like, it's something different every week. Um, we love it. And they're pretty short. Like they're not like hour long podcasts. Mm-hmm. They're like between 30 and 40 minutes. Okay. So a little shorter. Yeah. That's interesting too with the podcast length that you mentioned because um, my shows and usually end up going like an hour, hour 15, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. Um, and I let them run long because personally, like when I'm out for a run, I'm usually running like at least an hour and I want a podcast to like last the whole run. I totally agree with you. Or then I can jump in the car, you know, um, and finish it off in the car or something. But I think a lot of people and a lot of different kinds of shows, because this is a more of a conversation style show. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the sweet spot for a lot of shows is more like 45 minutes. Yeah, I'm not sure with that podcast I could pay attention for longer than yeah. 45. I mean, because it is, it does make you like really, really think mm-hmm. the whole time. It's a different kind um, of. It's, it's, yeah, and sometimes you just want to like tune out. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still fun. Like we both listen to it and then we talk about it and it's fun. I'm always on the hunt for new podcasts because I love it. I love listening to them in the car when I run, when I, I mean, sometimes I, if I'm by myself at the grocery, like I'll just put my earbuds in and listen to them while I'm, while I'm shopping, you know, just cause it's like oh, yeah. it's my alone time. Um, and then you feel like you're killing two birds with one sto- stone. You're like learning something and, and grocery shopping. shopping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have, do you guys watch any shows? We do. Um, our favorite show we probably watch together is Modern Family. Oh, we I love, love it. Modern Family. Modern Family is the best. And then I... I'm a Grey's Anatomy watcher. Oh, I've been watching it since the beginning. I still love it. He will not. He won't watch it with me. But like, if I have it on, he'll be like, "Oh, what's uh, what's uh, going on there with that doctor? How is what it happened to that doctor?" On the air. This is crazy. I know. You'd think they'd all be killed off by now, but now I'm at the point where I'm like, now I have to watch it because you yeah, know it's probably yeah. only going to last like a few more seasons you know it can't be on forever that's what people probably said three years ago though <laughs> you know that's what I said three years ago and here I am still watching it um, that's great is that that's like the lo- gotta be like one of the longest running shows ever I know I know and then we also both just started watching um it's called designated survivor okay uh, which there's actually a freakonomics podcast about this whole idea I had no idea this existed but like when the state of the union address happens and like everybody's in one room they have like a designated cabinet member that doesn't attend. Um, so that way, if like there's like a terrorist attack or something, and it's like a real life thing that we do in this country, then there's there's somebody to basically fill the shoes of being the president. Oh. So they actually they taught they have a freakonomics episode about this um, about and they like interview like previous designated survivors because they like put them in like a bomb proof room like somewhere oh hidden. Oh my gosh. And then they're, like, released after the State of the Union address is over. But in the show, like, obviously there's an explosion and everybody dies. And it's the guy who was in 24. Um, what's his name? The actor. So he's the guy who's, like, now the president. That. So okay. my husband, of course, is So super is it a series? Into- yeah. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Is that on Netflix? Um, no, it's on ABC or NBC, maybe? It is the designated – okay, maybe I've heard them talking about this on the radio or something – is the designated survivor some really, you know, like where a I, cabinet member? Yeah, you know and where I heard the this. Uh, there's a pop. There's a podcast I listen to called the Popcast. Okay, and they talk about pop culture stuff, and uh-huh. they talk a lot about TV and stuff like that. 
And I think they were talking about it. And it's some random guy that has like no business being the president, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So anyways, my husband being the history buff, he's like super fascinated by this. But I kind of got hooked a little bit. So embarrassed to admit that he was right. And we are watching it. (laughs) Do you have any apps on your phone that you are just like, I can't live without this? I love Instagram. I mean, that's probably so... I I mean, you, you follow me on Instagram now, yeah. so I'm always posting pictures of, like, my son and food, obviously, the two most important things. <laughs> In life. Yeah, Instagram's my favorite of all of them, because, of all the social media platforms, because, well, I also feel like on Instagram, I can tell a story, you know, like, I yeah. take a picture, but then I also, like, tell the story behind the picture a little bit and and I like when other people do that too because then I can I'm I'm not just seeing a picture of your kid but I'm like seeing what that part of your day actually was what was actually happening you know Uh Um, yeah um I also have like the baby center app on my phone which like second kid kid problems like I can't even tell you the last time I've looked at it like my husband will be like oh what size fruit is like our child now and I'll like like, I haven't looked in a month let's see right right (laughs) I know. I, I never did that app. I, I never pay. I don't pay as close as attention as I should. But I mean, whatever. You go to the doctor and they tell you what's up. Yeah, and you're they fine. measure I you. Mean, and yeah, think, I think you can get a little too crazy about stuff like that. And I don't know, you can get too worried. It can freak you out. You know, you don't need to. Well, are you one of the people that with your first baby and I mean, I'll just make fun of you if you are. Um, <laughs> held up the fruit and like did no, I did shot not do on that. Facebook every week. Well, no, I didn't do that. But even if I wanted to, like some of the fruits towards the end, I'm like, what is a jackfruit and where do I buy one? Like I couldn't even do this if I wanted to. Like this is impossible. Yeah, I'm like your baby's like the size of a pumpkin in like July, and you're like perfect. Like I can't, I can't do that. I can't find a pumpkin. <laughs> Well, and I'm like, come on, people, let's get more original here. Can we talk about, can we do a size thing that's not a fruit? We've seen 90 other women on our Facebook feed holding up a fruit and telling us how large their child is. Right. Now, well, then also I look at it and I'm like, what kind of avocado are you looking at? Because, like, I've never <laughs> seen an avocado that's five inches long. Like, where are you coming from? <laughs> so we're going to apologize ahead of time to anybody listening that's been the fruit mom being with their first pregnancy, but you're, you're looking back now, you're on your third baby thinking, why the heck did I do that? Let's be honest. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this has been really fun and thank you so much. This has been great. I still feel like I could learn so much from your ultra experience. Maybe we'll have you back on and do just specific ultra stuff or we could just do specific military stuff even. Well, maybe you can have me on after my first race after the baby's born. We can talk about that whole adventure. (laughs) Yes, I love that. That's a great idea. All right. Well, take care and good luck with the baby. Yeah, good luck with your baby any day now. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. All right. Have a good one, Lindsay. See ya. Okay. That wraps up episode 37. Are you guys all in awe of Claire just like I am? I left that conversation thinking I just talked to Superwoman. She is amazing. Thank you so much, Claire, for coming on the show. And thank you all for listening. Next week is the Holiday Gift Guide episode, November 18th. As you know, I release an episode every single Friday. So you guys have a wonderful weekend. And thank you so much, Generation U Camp, for sponsoring this episode of All Have Another. See you next Friday.